Hey subs, welcome to our new thing. It's called Unsong. Apparently, we just said that like literally about three minutes ago. <laughs> and uh, subs, subs just now as well, but maybe in the long term, yeah. that'll go out to general population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, hey folks, if you're not subs, then this is another new concept we're bringing towards you that we won't abandon like we did sound as a pound. Um, <laughs> this is called Unsong, as we've just decided upon. Very, very. But th- excuse this has me. more legs. Excuse me, because. Uh, we all just have songs that we like, whereas it's much more difficult yeah. to go and find a good album in the pound shop. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, the COVID pandemic is not going to close the the mental library of songs that we have, like it did pound shops. I'm still pound shops I'm are still, still open, holding. Chris. They're uh, essential, an sh- essential service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man, I didn't even know that. Wow, I'd be, uh, honestly, that would be a fucking midden as well. You know, you just know it's that kind of place. It's like when I had to go into Primark and try and get that vest and it was just absolute fucking super spread. Well, what, is there, what else is there to do? I mean, one of my highlights of the week is just going and walking around B&M and then coming out. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, you know what then? In that case, I'm going to go into the pound shop and I'm going to force the issue of sound as a pound. Great. Uh, so yeah. what? what's this? Because this, the whole point of this episode is it's short and sweet and so far we've taken mm-hmm. uh, about 25% of it up not talking about it. <laughs> Chris, you want to talk about your idea here? Aye, so basically a lot of people have a very short attention span, including myself, and uh, we noticed that it works pretty nicely for some podcasts. If you throw out many episodes as well, and we were like, well, there's loads of bands we can't talk about really because they don't either don't have a good album or because they're such a massive band, but within their catalogue you can sort of pick something out. So we're going to take like a singles thing, like a sort of singles club idea where you just take like one tune, throw it to the the crew, uh, we discuss it a wee bit, talk about why we think it's unsung or why it's just an interesting phenomenon. There's no votes, it doesn't matter, there's no interaction, just sit back and take it. <laughs> uh, and that's the idea. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty throwaway. It's for 15 minutes when you're doing dishes or making your dinner mm-hmm. or whatever. And you don't have an hour to burn listening to us in baritone Scottish accents like this. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, I've just fucking gone for it. I've gone for... Wait, there's too many words. So the song <laughs> is called Blessings Upon the Throne of Tyranny. The album is Puritanical Euphoric Misanthropia. And the band is Dumu Borgir. You should really say all of that again in an appropriate voice. Right, okay. <laughs> so, do you mean like, Blessings upon the throne of tyranny from puritanical euphoric misanthropia by the band Dumuborgur? Is that yeah, what you mean? Better, right? <laughs> that's it. Um, <laughs> Never in the zone. So, I mean, I don't know why, but I just totally thought of this song when uh, we were talking about this. You're probably not going to put the band in or an album in but this song just totally when i heard it back in 2001 it just absolutely blew my mind i you know i'd been listening to iron maiden for 10 years since i'd been playing with lego and then all of a sudden (laughs) this and it's just like a total upgrade on iron maiden basically it's uh just so unrelenting and heavy but it's still got melody it's like the total sweet spot of heavy metal for me
I, I mean, I totally rinsed this album for like a year and a half. It had a very misogynistic and inappropriate album cover of a naked woman covered in barbed wire. Uh, my pal bought me the album artwork on t-shirt. Uh, so I had that uh, Edge lowered yeah, he, he bought me that to specifically piss off my parents and My parents were like, oh, you know, it's fine He's a 15 year old goth, who cares <laughs> At least he's not smoking crack Did your band ever cover this? No, I mean, I wish <laughs> we, did, we didn't have a fucking jackhammer on drums So, but I mean By the way, before, before sorry, just as a little aside here Before we go too far, I know for a fact From our socials that we have fully grown audience Members who both listen to Iron Maiden And play with Lego to this day <laughs> Oh, hey, yeah, I'm not slagging Either thing, although I might have Started both of those pursuits when I was a child I'm not saying that they're not for adults um, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry to deviate there, but I think there was like a there was a subculture that would have felt maligned if I had. Yeah, no, no offense, there, yeah. no offense to Iron Maiden or Lego fans. So uh, the names in this band, ICS Vortex and Galder. This was their first album. It was the mm-hmm. Borgiev's fifth album, right? But it was their first album. But the guy you're presumably referring to is Nicholas. Is it Baker? Nicholas Barker. Barker. Uh, so Barker. he'd been in Cradle of Filth beforehand. I think they'd fallen out or something and he joined uh, Demu Borgir in 99 I think um, he's been in loads of metal bands and I think he's in that weird uh, narco extreme metal supergroup that are all anonymous called Brugeria now Yeah. Uh, oh really? Yeah, so, I think yeah, he's yeah. he's playing drums in them. Um but yeah, so Demu Borgir, I mean they were ostensibly black metal and they were, you know, from the Norwegian black metal early 90s segment. Yeah. Did, did did we touch on Demu Borgir during the black metal episode? I think I, maybe got a mention. Yeah, I think I would have t- touched on them because yeah. they were they were always the sort of more symphonic side of things and the more theatrical. Mm-hmm. And David, I don't want you to take this personally, but I always found their fans incredibly obnoxious. Oh, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> I've been saying about Demi Borgia that people that listened to them thought they were the most extreme of the most extreme and that they just had, they knew true metal and that everybody else was just a charlatan. And I just, I just, I remember just button heads of people in Demi Borgia shirts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a reason I'm not going to bring them to the main episode. I guess for true black metal fans they're always too pop and too symphonic and too polished and too pompous but for people that are into iced earth and stuff like that it was maybe just a bit mm-hmm. too extreme and therefore the fans yeah. of Demu Bogyard you know think that they're like yeah we are the best of both worlds and you know we're really into prog and production and stuff like that but we're also really yeah extreme. It, it, it is quite proggy um it's also interesting that you said uh, did you say pr- precocious pompous what you said or not? <laughs> pompous um because this is done with this album was done with the gothenburg opera orchestra wasn't yeah. it yeah so i mean it's, it's obviously got a budget as well and it's like hi-fi black metal hi-fi thrashy black metal it's very clear very like high-end when you compare it to you know some of the old school stuff some of the um yeah, like Immortal or Dark Throne or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and, um, exactly. But like, 
I, for me, it's kind of just a total sweet spot. And specifically mm-hmm. this song within this album and then this album within their discography because I think beforehand they didn't have the production budget and they didn't quite have the synth sounds and the they definitely didn't have the orchestra to like really fully open up their sound you know, that they were trying to do that maybe probably more talented musicians like Emperor were able to do on a lower budget. And then yeah. after this record, and they, I think they won like Norwegian Grammys and stuff like that with this record, they started, you know, incorporating the orchestra and a lot of their stuff. And it just kind of got really fat and overblown. And yeah. It, so what, the one after this was at Death Cult Armageddon. Yeah. This is like a part, this is seen as being the, the album, or in this fact, this song especially kind of paved the way for the big grandiose sort of sound on that, mm-hmm. didn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I was really excited to hear Death Cult Armageddon when I was, you know, whatever, 16 or 17 when that album came out because I would had listened to this one so much. Uh, it just didn't click with me at all. And yeah, this is the only Demu Borgir record I've ever enjoyed. The production is so crisp and clean, but it's not overblown. I mean, it's stupid. It's a, it's a mad, ridiculous record. But I also just think it's got the intensity and it's still just got enough, particularly this song, enough like black metal ferocity. That does it for me. And yeah, to me, this is like, a continuation of the heavy metal sort of bloodline you know from Iron Maiden yeah. to Slayer this is the next level up and this particular yeah, I'm, song I'm, I'm, I'd I'm, just I'd happily put it in my top 10 heavy metal songs of all time I wouldn't say it's black yeah. metal I'd just say it's heavy metal I, I think what struck me I'm not a Demu Borgir fan by any stretch of the imagination but th- this tune in particular has basically all of the touchstones that they want Mm-hmm. For their fan base, you know, they've got thrash, they've got death, they've got black metal, they've got prog, and it, it really is quite a diverse tune. It's about five and a half minutes, but it does a lot of things in that time. Yeah. Um, and it and to be fair, it you know it does them pretty well. The drumming was a massive step up from the previous stuff. Oh, totally. You know, just reading a bit about them as well, just that in fan sites, that was like a unanimous verdict. It just allowed them to do things that they hadn't done before. I saw it described as a galloping percussive onslaught in one review, which I thought was pretty accurate. Well, I mean, the, um, it's not. He doesn't really do dynamics. He's either going very fast, very very fast, or very 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 fast. And it's all very loud mm-hmm. and clicky. Yeah. He loves his definition on his, cl- his, his I was going to say click drum, kick drum. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting. And when they do go to like the thrash stuff, it really strongly nods to like classic thrash. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to dress it up. So I, I, c- I can, I can appreciate. Uh, the significance of it in their catalogue in terms of like showing where they came from showing their references and the fact that it has those elements it's got some really odd electronic elements in it as well that sort of suggest where they're going in terms of progginess and pomposity Mm -hmm. a bit 
And I mean, yeah, it was a total eye-opener for me. I think it was, once again, I think it appeared on a Kerrang! cover mount CD and I heard it and I was just like, holy shit, music can be that fast and that intense. I was truly taken in and then it led me down the black metal route and the extreme metal route. And See, in terms of the song itself, there's some really interesting kind of moments in it mm-hmm. that, that really stood out to me. It was about a minute 30 and it, it drops back into this like thrash riff. Yeah. And that's one of the kind of that's one of the kind of cleanest sort of transitions. It's, it feels really, I don't know. It feels it feels really natural. It doesn't feel like they forced it. Also, at two minutes, it was one of there's a great second guitar part like that bit that I actually genuinely like that it's happening in the right speaker. Yeah. really odd little kind of uh, complimentary guitar riff that's that's playing that's really cool and um, that goes all the way up to that weird electronic break at 2 minutes 28 I, I kind of feel at that point as well I can hear the kind of like hints of Cradle of Filth when that happened mm-hmm. even though it's you know it's just a drummer that's there but there is something similar and I'm guessing that electro sort of stuff was was that new for them at that point to do those little kind of well no they'd I, they'd been doing like sort of synth flourishes on previous records but it never quite fitted for me whereas here it's kind of cheesy enough that it has that sort of you know fantasy sci-fi sound to it but then mm-hmm. later on it just gets a bit fat and a bit yeah a bit overblown I think. There's another interesting point as a touchstone. Obviously, we were big fans of Aranci Pazuzu. They made mm-hmm. like around the year lists, and I think around about three minutes thirty to about four minutes, the vocals get really gnarly. Like, Aye, totally. A lot of, like double tracked vocals in a really it's it's really ugly the way they've done it, and it really reminds me of that take on the vocals that Aranci Pazuzu are using just now. Right on the four minute mark as well, he sings through this really strong flanger that is, you would never agree to do it in a studio, but I think given, <laughs> given the eccentricities of the song itself, they sort of get away with it. Yep. Um, do you guys know the band Lapsus Lingue, the Glasgow band from like early 2000s? Yes, indeed. Right, really avant-garde, sort of like gonzo, alt, noise, inventive stuff, right? They had this particular style of piano that was quite baroque and quite mischievous sounding mm-hmm. um, you know almost like Dresden Dollsy as well at times like quite cabaret but dead sinister and that 4 minute 10 piano line in this really sounds like Lapsus Lingue and I'm pretty sure that Callum Davidson for Lapsus Lingue if I remember rightly was was quite into these guys so mm-hmm. that, that would make sense um, drummer again I noticed that about the 4 minutes 40 mark he's, he's got a really good use of cymbals if you're listening to the headphones the cymbals are pure stereo panning about your head yeah. and it's actually really sinks you into the mix it's, it's cool and I like the ending the, the, the choked cymbal ending Aye, totally. I'm a big fan of that yeah that's it's a it's a cool song. I'm not a fan of the band, but uh, as a if you're going to take one dose of them yeah I can I can see a, this being a very strong candidate Mark did you enjoy it or did you think it was terrible? I enjoyed it a lot like um 
I suppose uh, you've already mentioned the drums. He sounds like an actual drum machine. It is so yeah, triggered, but I like does, I like <laughs> I like how triggered that is, man, because it sounds really tight, you know, and that really works for this kind of music. A lot of the things that I kind of noted down on it was like the riffs are big, but they jump around like from place to place. Um, a lot of it's Swedish death, you know. A lot of the yeah. a lot of the rhythm guitar, especially in the right channel, is Swedish death metal, like absolutely down to a T. And that's no surprise that the, the producer of this record was the same guy that produced uh, Slaughter of the Soul by the Gates, you know. Yeah. So you can to- you can totally hear the lineage there. Uh, Frederick, Frederick Nordstrom, you know, you can totally hear that lineage. Um, and then obviously there's some really cool, dramatic and big cradle of filthy sort of symphonic parts I mean they're, they're, they're described often as symphonic black metal and I don't know if that's actually a genre I think maybe only them and cradle of filth sit in that genre but uh, the yeah, Emperor uh, as well surely yeah, no? suppose yeah actually um, but the big keyboard leads in this with the big synthy parts are just just like wall they are pure pantomime I just love it anyway it's, it's so nice um, the, see the guitar on the right channel which is doing the the, the kind of the melody and, and the choruses that is really melodic yeah. and really nice and it, it is a nice dynamic and then I think it's the second verse to go back into like full thrash and you just keep hearing different parts of different kinds of metal it's, it, that's quickly followed yeah. by like a big tremolo picking black metal bit it's really really yeah. cool man but I, just to kind of pick up on the thing with the vocals as well I think with this kind of music, they've got a lot of different things going on. There's a lot, a lot of different ideas in it, and this feels as though it could be like the, the zenith of how you jam all those things into one. And they do so yeah, many different totally. things with the vocals, um, just production-wise. Like Chris, like you said, with the flanger thing and all that, like they change it up quite often to stop because it's it's going. To, it's basically just one note. He's just singing the entire song, but by adding different <laughs> effects and doing different things with it, it actually makes it a hook in itself. Almost, you know, mm-hmm. keeps it kind of interesting. But yeah, it's big and gothic and dramatic and overblown and just mental and the drummer goes big all the time. The only thing for me that is missing is female Vox and I, I can totally hear that for Cradle of Filth, right? You could actually put a female <laughs> yeah, vocalist in there and it, it would totally work, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool song, man. I don't know if I could listen to the whole album of it because I think the, the melodrama of it would get quite great and quite quickly for me. But no, I enjoyed listening to this, man. It was really cool. Yeah. Oh well, I'm glad that you both appreciated them because yeah. turn me in a week off. <laughs> Success. <laughs> All right, one in the bag, guys. Uh, let's knock it in the head there, and uh, we'll come back with another one shortly. Great. Right. 